G'day, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining us again for our ongoing uh, podcast series around this thing called leadership. And we're shifting the focus a little bit out of Australia to our friends in the United Kingdom. So let me start by thanking again, Mr. Ben Deverson, my co-host in crime here for helping me out with the podcast. How are you, Ben? I'm great, Eric. Yourself? I'm good, my friend. Let's get straight to this. So I'd like to introduce our guest, if I may. She is currently a Senior Operations Manager with the Defence Defence Equipment and Support component of the United Kingdom's military forces and is a major in the Royal Corps of Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. I hope I got that right. Can I I welcome to the podcast, Charlotte Hayes? Hi, you did get it right. Oh, (laughs) fantastic. Great. I I passed the the pub test there. That's brilliant. So look, thank you for joining us, Charlotte. I I appreciate that you've given up some time to do this. And uh, before we get started into questions proper, because I didn't get a chance to do this otherwise, and this will be going out well after Anzac Day in Australia here. But I'd like to thank those that have served in the Australian military. And it's a, it's a big, important weekend for those of us in Australia to honour the people that did what they did to protect uh, our country. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'll, I'll get things started by handing over to Ben to ask the first couple of questions, mate. Over to you. Great. Thanks, Eric. And welcome, Charlotte. So it is an honour to speak with you, a current serving member of Her, Her Majesty's Forces. And I just wanted to say, looking at your career and your expansive qualifications, I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic podcast. So, Charlotte, let's kick off with question number one. And, and as always, we'd like to understand our guest background. So can we ask you to talk us through your leadership pathway and then the sort of pathway your career is taking today? I always like to touch on a quote from um, General Slim, which is about leaders being made, not born. Because I don't always think that we're, we're made or the best leaders are, are born. I think that we're made. Sorry said that the wrong way around so yeah I don't think that the best leaders are always born I think we're made because I think we constantly say coach and mentor and learn and develop as leaders so if I look back to when I was at school and I try to like pinpoint you know was I a natural leader was I born I don't think that I actually was I went to the normal state comprehensive and I was not the captain of a sports team I was not the the most popular person in the classroom I did get myself involved in things like girl girl guide but I cried so much on my first girl guide camp that they called my parents to take me home so there was definitely no like natural born leadership quality um there at school so how did I sort of end up being a leader after all so I'm not really sure where it came from other than when I was at university I wanted to join a club so you go to university you go to the Threshers Fair and all the sports clubs are out trying to entice you to join their various sporting club and I happened to walk past the officer training course stand and I was carrying loads of rugby leaflet and because I decided that I was going to play rugby for the university sports team that's what I was going to do so this guy just stopped me and said hey do you play rugby and I was like yeah I do and he said well you could play rugby in the army and that was his in that's what got me that's what stopped me in my track so I went along to the officer training corps at university and I loved it we did loads of things we did loads of military training type stuff but we also did exhibitions so I went to Canada and we trekked the Rockies we kayaked from Talagaf Creek in Canada all the way to Alaska I did hill walking qualifications and the officer training corps basically just 
took me they I don't know what they saw a bit of potential and I just liked what they were selling I liked their values I liked what they talked about and I joined up so because I joined the officer training corps at university then things just kind of start to happen and they offered they said hey why don't you go to our selection board for a selection to join the army as an officer um, so you have to go through two selection boards and I went to these two selection boards obviously I did some preparation for them and I passed I actually surprised myself a little bit so then that meant that I was offered a place at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst and again this is all kind of done on potential so they're looking at you and they're assessing you because they think that you've got some form of potential that they can develop so this is why I come back to my point about leaders being made rather than born because I definitely wasn't this natural leader maybe that came to the fore at school on the sports team or in any other situation but they saw something in me in that selection process and then obviously brought it out and then since then since joining the army obviously at Sandhurst it's 44 weeks almost a year it practically is a year I started in January finished in December of leadership training and then throughout your whole military career and I've done 17 years now you are you constantly go back to do more training at kind of like the next level and my most recent when I was selected for promotion to major back in 2015 again I went back and I did a nine-month course so a really long course aimed at strategic leadership so you have a much higher level than maybe the more tactical or operational leadership so you're constantly trained in the army and you're constantly made aware of your own leadership uh, style and to look at yourself maybe how other people would see you so that you can do some assessments you're constantly coached and given feedback so it is almost is always a opportunity to develop as a leader and the army also encourages you it certainly did at Santa she did a lot of studying other leaders and other ideas and other concepts you know transactional leadership transformational leadership you know all the buzzwords having uh, charismatic leaders authentic leaders and um and really explore leadership and learn the learn about the theory of leadership but then obviously go out and do your own style of leadership And I think something that the British Army is really good is empowering people to be leaders. So even when I was a second lieutenant and you're at the very junior scale of leadership, you're always given a little bit of responsibility. So I didn't command a a battalion as a second lieutenant. You know, I was a platoon commander, but I had some senior soldiers that really knew their stuff. So, you know, I would collaborate and work with the senior soldiers and work as a team. And you would just develop your leadership style along the way. And the more, and it was kind of incremental because the more success you had at a task or managing a small team, then you get a larger task and a larger team or a different task or a more complex task or, a, you know, a more complex team. And and you're kind of like incrementally fed little uh, tasks or, or groups of people to lead. And the more, and as you improve for doing that, you're obviously sort of rewarded with promotion or rewarded with feedback that you're doing a good job. And then I think as you also progress progress sort of through leadership you develop your style of what suits you whereas I think there was times when I was definitely a second lieutenant when I was trying to emulate maybe one of those theories that I've read about or I was trying to maybe emulate someone that I thought was a good leader that wasn't necessarily me my style and then certainly as I as I've got older and I say age always helps you get more comfortable in your own skin and you're you've got lots of confidence and resilience built from your experiences today that it's more natural to be you and to develop your own leadership style so I, I think that's kind of how I've ended up where I am really with some dedicated training and then 
and then just maybe learning along the way. That's an awesome response. You've you've uh, answered some of our other questions going forward along that list, which is fine because it's interesting your take on the the nature versus nurture, like our leaders born or made. I, I, I tend to agree with your view. I think you can make a, a leader if you invest the time and energy and money into doing that. And I'd like to see what Ben's thoughts are, are here, but in all of the podcasts that we've done that's come across quite strongly is that in the military context, the men and women in the military uh, uh, help shape leaders in a very uh, clear fashion in that stepwise uh, fashion that you were just alluding to. One thing that was brought to my attention, not from a military context, but maybe get both your perspectives on this one is there's the, the nature versus nurture and everyone will have their own opinion on that. But then there's there's two other elements that someone brought to my attention in a podcast I did this week that might be released for a little while, but I'm glad that he brought them up. Actually, no, it was released. Um, my, my latest one is the, the gentleman in question um, brought up this this idea that, um, and uh, why have I forgot? Mike House, sorry, a gentleman, Mike, Mike, who gave me his time and was talking about this said, not only is it the nature versus nurture element, but there's the two other bits. And those bits were, individual choice so you choose to be a leader or you choose not to be a leader and then whether or not you choose to go down this pathway of lifelong learning and it seems from what you described you had those opportunities to do that and you took them when they became available but you could have made the choice not to so i guess my question to you charlotte is that is there an expectation in the military force that you serve that you will be constantly developing your skill sets wherever that might take you or do they give you uh, a vista of things that you could do and expect that you'll take one of those things up so I think our career path is pretty well defined so that's the career path that you're you're going to follow and you're a lot of the, some of the courses are mandatory and you're going to do that. But you've got to account for that some people will embrace that and will study and get the maximum they can out of that and they'll see it as a really opportunity, whereas others might just go through it because they have to go through it. And I suppose the only difference that you'll see there is that maybe those excel or do better than, than others. Um, Yeah, I think leadership from day one at Sandhurst, so from the very second that you step through that, well, step on through the big gates and signed in with your ironing board tucked under your arm, from the very second that you enter the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, it is made clear to you from day one that leadership is a service and the motto serve to lead is drilled into you. When you agree or enter into the academy to develop as a leader you are there because you are going to be privileged extremely privileged to lead uh, the soldiers and you're going to serve the needs of those soldiers and it's pretty much drilled into you from day one that you're not there because you're some I don't know alpha type personality super confident and you're a leader and gung-ho off you're gonna go it's pretty much you know explain to you that you're here because you're going to serve the needs of your team so I think from from day one if because the army is a values-based organization if those values don't align to maybe your values and your ideas then it's not really the place for you and you kind of have a get out window after five weeks so after five weeks if you realize that those values aren't your values and that entering a life of service by serving your team isn't for you then then I suppose that's its point at which you exit and then you can probably exit at any point throughout your career but yeah it's I, I think from day one you know what you're joining up for and uh, you won't go into that 
with your with your eyes open and then anyone that is of the mindset where they they want to get the best out of their team and work as a team and achieve together will always be open to ideas and learning because you've, you're just wired that way in the first place. You've got an inquisitive, curious mind. You want to know how see how people see things from, from other angles. You want your problem solvers, like even at myself as an engineer, but also as an officer in the army. You find yourself into, you know, unique situations that have never been charted before. And you need to think outside the box. You need to come up with a creative solution. So you just need to be able to have this like first for lifelong learning and and looking at things from a different way or else it's, it's just not really going to work. You're going to draw stumps. Yeah, fair enough. Ben? Oh, I, I agree with, with Charlotte. I mean, you're, I, I've, I had a chuckle with the ironing board reference because I'm almost certain when I went to the Royal Military College Duntroon, which is uh, the Royal Military Academy's sister school here in Australia, uh, and I do remember going through those large gates uh, with my ironing board under my shoulder and you effectively sign a blank check that you will serve a queen and country, you'll serve your soldiers, and you'll sign up to lifelong learning. I believe the phrase was called unrestricted service. I can go anywhere, anytime, and be ordered to do anything that is morally acceptable. You know, those sort of commitments. But equally, yeah, you knew your career path. If you wanted to take on certain leadership roles or get certain appointments or achieve certain qualifications, you had to go down a particular path. You weren't going to be promoted to captain without certain courses being performed. You weren't going to go to uh, battalion command without a, without one year at staff college and those sort of things. And as we said offline, you're also got to tick those boxes of doing the what I call SO3 paperclips roles just to get a tick in the box that you know how defence works. So, I mean, Charlotte's point is spot on. You do sign up in, a, in the phrase that Charlotte used, you leadership is a service. Personally, I think that the Australian Army could take more from the uh, the UK Army on, on that approach. I always believe that I am a servant leader, always have been, particularly as a very, very young lieutenant. And again, Charlotte's point about having senior NCOs who you put your trust into who, to guide you and support you. I think about those senior NCOs as the guiding force in my leadership development. Uh, and I've mentioned one or two in numerous podcasts in the past, Eric. So you invest a lot of time and energy into your own development, but so does defence. You know, I think that one military officer over 20 years is like a million dollars of training. So it's a lot of work. Charlotte, you use the word alignment. I think it's a good one that if you can't align your values, what the military expects from you, yeah, that five-week window, you should walk away and do something else. Because if you can't be of service for the duration that you're in, however long that period is, then you're not going to have a good time of it. And if the culture, and hopefully, and it sounds like, not hopefully, it sounds like a very positive culture that if it's about being of service to others, it would make your time that much better in there if you know your colleagues are thinking the same thing, that if you're all aligned in that way, hopefully you're all going in that one direction forward together. I mean, there'll be hiccups along the way, obviously, because no no process is perfect. But yeah, it, it, it's um it's a strange, interesting world for someone who hasn't been in the military because myself being a, a lifelong civilian and working in the civilian world, it's more about self-reliance and not the reliance on a team or people around you that have got got your back and that 
is uh, is a, a failing of uh, for me corporate leadership development in that I've met these leaders and and it's fine that they have this view that you need to develop yourself and you need to find your own pathway. I'm of the view, well, if you can help others to do that, you're going to help yourself and it's going to make for a better outcome longer term. And the the profit motive when you're working in the corporate sector is very different to the motivations being in the military and that you're there to be of service to your country and to your your, your fellow officers and and uh, those that you lead in whatever aspect of the military you're working in, which is very different to the corporate sector. And I think it's a lot, uh, ironically, I think it's a lot more cutthroat, the leadership game in the non-military sector than it is in the military, because it, it you know, unless I'm, I'm reading this wrong, you guys have got a lot of support coming up and learning your craft. Whereas in the private sector, you, you have to develop mental relationships. You've got to get out and create your networks. And if you choose not to do that, then I think it's a harder path to follow. You got any thoughts on that, Charlotte? Yes, I, there's two two points I want to pick up from one from Ben and, and one from you, from yourself. So values. So on your worst day, on the hardest day, when everything has gone terribly wrong, I won't use the phrase I used earlier. <laughs> so when things have gone really wrong and you've got to make the hardest hardest decisions, you're going to default to your values, your own natural core values. So I think organisations like the, like the army, they attract people because they are a values-based organisation. They have their values out there. They ask you to sign up to those values. And if your values align to those values, then on the hardest, darkest, toughest day, when stuff's got really bad, if you do default to your inner self, you've defaulted to those values that are still aligned. Mm. I think in the corporate world, companies sometimes say that they have values and that they are a values-based organisation, and they potentially have lots of nice glossy printouts with their values on. But their leaders don't live and breathe by those values. And then the hardest, toughest, darkest day in the corporate world, whatever that may be, those values aren't seen. They've reverted to maybe their alternative true values. So I think sometimes in, in, in the corporate world, there's a lot of talking the talk, but there's not maybe so much walking the talk as well. And if you don't see your leaders doing what you expect them to do because they've told you these are the values and that's what you're to do, then you don't respect your leaders and you don't um, trust your leaders because they're not authentic. They're not doing what you expected them to do. So then that in turn will maybe impact your behavior because, you know, if the boss doesn't do it, why should you do it? So in the military in particular, those values are key. And you adhering to those values are key. And everybody needs to uphold those values and be that role model. Everybody is that role model and you learn from everybody. And then you have this overwhelming sense of teamwork and of trust and collaboration. And also the fact that in some situations, your life actually depends on one another. And you really do need to have one another's back. That kind of helps because that brings a whole unity to the to the problem, doesn't it? You really have to work together because lives really do depend on it sometimes, not all the time, sometimes. So I think that like the being a truly values based organization um, helps with that. Then the point that Ben brought up about servant leaders. So in most organizations, be it military or civilian, everybody has to follow somebody so you could say that we're all followers and we have in the British Army have the the concept of the servant leader you serve to lead 
But the army recently has moved mass away from um, like this follower dynamic. And it believes that that concept is, is potentially void now and there's no place for it. Because we should treat everybody as a potential leader and we should empower everybody to be a leader within that team. Now, they might not necessarily lead a massive aspect they might not lead the team, they might not be the key lead on a task, but there might be bits of that task or like they might just oversee one person. But there might be something that they're leading on and we should give them credit that they're leading on that. And also that they're using, they're exercising their own values and, and they're doing all that. They're not just following, they're bringing something more to the party. And also in some situations, you've got to understand that members of your team will know more than you know as the leader. As the leader, you cannot be expected to know everything. You'll have expertise that know way more than you know, especially like in my role as an engineering officer. I can't dismantle every element of a armoured vehicle and repair all of its electronics, mechanical aspects, or even its gun system, its weapon systems on the top. But my soldiers can. So when my soldiers aren't needing to explain to me a situation about how long that repair is going to take or if it even is repairable, they're kind of leading on this task now because I actually don't know the answer. They're the expert. So in that situation, the dynamic changes a little bit. They're lead. They're knowledge is leading the task I've got the ultimate responsibility and accountability for it but their expertise is making them sort of lead and drive the task and you've got to give your team um, like you've got to know let them know they're doing this and empower them and give them confidence so that when they're in that situation again they'll they'll do it again and that helps breed trust in the relationship as well because the dynamics have changed a little bit so I think I think it's really key to have a set of values that you're all signed up to and you're all believing and on the hardest darkest day you'll revert to those values and then I also think it's really important to acknowledge that people aren't just followers they're, they're the next leader behind you and you need to make sure that you are mentoring coaching them and empowering them to do that sorry yep. I just interrupted you because I wanted to jump in uh, to Eric and say honestly I think in the series of podcasts that that I've done with you Eric Charlotte's response then to the context of military and civilian values-based leadership is probably the best answer I've ever heard. I think what I don't see in the corporate sphere, and I've got friends in a lot of different industries, and I get the good and the bad stories that, and, and maybe Ben, this will become another podcast series we can do about values in the workplace. I don't believe on a normal on a, on a normal, on a daily basis, in at least in the corporate sector, I'm not going to talk for the military space because that's your your expertise, Charlotte and Ben. For me, I don't think most organisations live their values. And and to be fair to them, I sometimes think a lot of corporates don't understand what their values are. And I think the 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 schism there is when you see the values in your top leader echelons versus those that are following can't there can be a massive disconnect there where those that are in charge ultimately of making the final call will adjust their values to meeting the bottom line and um you feel free to disagree but i think the profit mode of driving business is a very different motive to yours because you're not out to make money your bottom line is defending the country uh, watching your mates back and getting the the job done and teaching the next generation it almost you know, i was going to say it's like a crash 
example of, of you're bringing up the younglings up the chain and leading by example. And you would hope that the example is a good one. Now, I'm not, I'm not for a minute saying that there aren't toxic leaders in the military, like there are toxic leaders in the corporate sector. Those people exist and they're out there. I mean, I, I'm being realistic here. Not every leader is a good and, and open-minded and broad-minded leader, but the context that you paint is, is, is such different context to what I thought the military was about that my, my schooling in this now is that if I walked away and I stopped doing these podcasts that I now have a greater appreciation for what it is to come from your world back into this world because I think that the difficulty and Ben's already traversed this but if you're in the military long term and then you come out into the corporate sector I think the shock of that move is bigger than I gave it credit for because you, you the environment that you're in is a very supportive forward-looking environment Whereas in some in the corporate space, sometimes it's well, we'll drop you in the deep end and better swim, or the other uh, option B is you sink, and that's it. Uh, and sometimes it's it's cutthroat of that, and, and I get why that happens. But the culture that you can generate in a military sense in in that military space is very different than the corporate sector, and there's good reasons for that to be. But I think the the other learning that I've been able to get out of this conversation and ones that we've had before is that there's such a an, uh, there's such a market space out there to get more of a transfer of what you guys learn the men and women in the military learn in that space to the corporate space that um I can understand why there's a resistance to it because in some in some senses trusting your team and and trusting the skills of others to get the job done is a big risk when you're in the corporate sector because I have to trust you fully to get the job done and if ultimately I'm accountable and the job doesn't get done it's my ass on the line not necessarily yours do you see what I'm saying that there's a more risk yeah, I do. I do see that. And when we're we're not chasing a profit, but we, we success is still pretty important. I think we've just got a, a completely. We're coming at this. We're coming at the problem from a different way, and we're potentially understanding that we're stronger as a team. And maybe in the corporate world, I don't know because I don't work in the corporate world. So this is a big maybe. Maybe they're not really harnessing the power of the team and collaboration. I think a lot of companies now are align are aligning themselves to be more values based organisations and have more collaboration and potentially work like you know more united rather than individuals. And I think like the power of the all will always be stronger than than the strength of the individual and they potentially just need to go with that and they need to understand that like a team of people is going to be better than one person on their own one person on their own cannot do everything and does not know everything um and will always potentially see things from one angle and you just need someone to look at it from a different way i don't know i don't know maybe how companies that have always set in in that behavior that culture will change um but they've got to change and also in the army we don't have a blame culture there's a really really strong emphasis on um, learning from experience identifying where things wrong and just learning from it don't don't do it again you know just that went badly so let's figure out how we don't do that again rather than let's blame frank <laughs> let's figure out where, why it went wrong for frank so that sally doesn't do it that way next time you know we, we've moved away from that we've moved away from that i, I suppose it's it's it, it's just maybe the the true origins of what a learning organization needs to be and many uh, corporate organizations claim that they're learning organizations or claim that they're value-based and maybe maybe if they're not they potentially need to look at some of the behaviors that are skewing that and look at how they can address those behaviors what's interesting in reflecting on charlotte's comments eric is um i think if you were to apply that 
that anecdote in many respects that Charlotte said about being in that worst position possible as a leader, having to make that values-based decision. When I reflect on my career in the army, I, I believe if I'd made a decision that is against my values, against the army's values, I simply just wouldn't have survived. And I don't mean literally, I mean survived in a leadership role much longer. Whereas I do believe that in the corporate civilian context that if someone deviates away from the company's core values in order to ensure a shareholder return is maintained or something along the lines of keeping the company afloat, whilst there are corporations that requirement to do so, I think that that deviation from values has far less of an impact, not only on the personal conscience, but equally the, let's just say, the uh, consequences of deviating from your values, which I, I've unfortunately seen come to the fore in during the COVID economic downturn, which I found some fairly um, fairly ordinary behaviours from, from companies that were uh, making staff redundant whilst increasing senior management salaries and all those various things, which was just abhorrent in my view. And meanwhile, they walked past a value statement on the wall that says people first. Um, yeah. So I think maybe there's a point there, like that the consequence is less, but also maybe the deviation from the value, they'll argue was the right thing to do because it resulted in whatever they needed to achieve. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think the, the consequence is potentially less, but also they'll be able to claim that straying from the values was the right thing to do because this is the outcome. Whereas in the military, you're, you know, you're rewarded against our values, but you're also disciplined against those values. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so there is a bit of carrot and stick there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they have that in the corporate world. They're sort of like maybe if they've deviated from that value rather than maybe being reprimanded or for not sticking to that value, they're sort of like rewarded for deviating from the value because it works out good in the end. So your, Whereas, example, your example before, sorry to, to cut you off, Charlotte, I think yeah. a point worth noting here is that being held accountable to a set of values is going to keep you focused and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think having a standard by which you set your behavior and what what you need to aim for because I, I would I would think that if you're and my definition of leadership is about being of service to others that to keep you committed to that longer term you need to be held accountable to what those values might look like and so if you deviate it's not about punishment it's more about what can you learn from from a situation that's gone pear-shaped to do better in the future and that almost uh, requires people to be self-reflective to a degree that I think a lot of leaders don't want to be because if you have to ask yourself the question, shit, this went pear-shaped and it was because of me, there's lots of leaders, of, I'm sure you've met them, I've met them, that, that don't have that level of self-reflection to go, ultimately it was me. I need to do something different because it is really putting your your ego out there and a lot of people aren't prepared to trample on that because they just don't want to have the conversation. Maybe it's something that I did. And I think experience, and this has come out in this podcast and, and many of the others that have you know, you know, guests that I've spoken to that haven't had a military background that say that 
you learn these things as you go and experience is one of those teachers that you have to have that experience to learn some things and you're not going to get that straight away because you you would assume that if, if you accept the premise that we're all humans and we're going to make mistakes that hopefully you learn from some of those mistakes hopefully they're not catastrophic mistakes as you go along and i think the difference when we're talking about differences between the two worlds in which we might operate in the corporate world if you make a catastrophic mistake it could cost you a job but that's it in your context if you're out in the field or you're in a, in, a, in a position where you're out and your life depends on something, you make a catastrophic mistake, your life could end or the lives of others could end. So that pressure, I think when you talk about trying to make the best, most informed decision at times, depends on the context in the, in the corporate world, it's not going to cost you a life. In, in, your, in the worlds it, that you, you run, it could cost you your life. It does. I mean, yes, we are in very pressured situations. So there's every day, there's like what I like to call the in barracks leadership. So in, in the office, not deployed in the field or not deployed on operations leadership the in-day everyday leadership that you have to do of your of your team which you would do of in the corporate world and there's a lot of crossover there so there's because there's a lot more things into play because life's a bit more normal soldiers are going home every night to their families yeah and their children and they've got all the daily pressures of of paying the bills you know <laughs> looking after elderly relatives or you know running the kids to football clubs you know they've got all the normal life pressures but they've still got to come into work sort of like eight till five every day and do their day job and they still they still need uh, leadership in those in those roles and all the sort of like daily tasks that you you do when you're not doing your uh, maybe being deployed in operations there's there's other stuff going on in those situations there's linking back to values or linking back to making mistakes and our mistakes not being so catastrophic this is ideal this is like vital terrain in terms of military speed this is ideal opportunity to um, basically show your vulnerabilities as a leader or, or or to get things a little bit wrong in the practice space in the normal space so that you it just you know experience training it helps you for when you need to do it for for real but also I just think gives you an opportunity just to be just to build the trust more really build the trust more and it's not just down so obviously you want your team to trust you and you need to trust your team but you also need your superiors the team above you to trust you so that when you make that mistake when you make the wrong decision that that's where you need to eliminate the sort of the blame culture from because you need to you need to be able to say I made a mistake I got it wrong so that your team respect and acknowledge you and therefore potentially trust you more because you've been honest and you've been transparent but also your superiors you know the next level up they can look at you and say you know this this person you know they didn't do this deliberately recklessly everything that they did was considered was controlled they were accountable for it just didn't work out on the day again let's just learn from that and see where it went wrong it wasn't down to them being rash or or gung-ho or whatever so i i think that it's really important to admit when you're wrong and only when an organization any organization doesn't have this culture to blame somebody will people do that and that's quite important and it will help the team trust it will help with transparency help with honesty and it will also help you as a leader because it will show that you're a little bit human you know you're, you're not superhuman that never gets it wrong and that you need them sometimes as much as they need you charlotte all great advice and i think some of our questions here eric have all been answered but we'll keep going i'm going to ask the next question on our list uh charlotte which is in your view what are the critical leader capabilities that are needed by aspiring so 
for me I think resilience is really key and it's and part of that is mainly mental resilience rather than physical resilience so throughout your experience you'll have a really good experience and you need to take as much um, good as you can with the bad because when everything's gone well and gone really well maybe you need to take a little time to sit back and look and see how it went well why it went well and also give yourself a bit of the pat on the back that that went well and that you can do it and you can do a good job and you can be a good leader and then obviously when things don't go well you need you need to have that ability to have a step back you know have your moment times in the army it's called command time have a condor moment take a step back take a deep breath you know compose yourself try and think it a bit from a different angle see what's not going so well and then sort of come back stronger so there's a there's a phrase in the army float like a butterfly when it's all going well but spring like spring bounce back like a spring when it's not going so well so I think resilience is really key resilience comes from going through a lot of situations yourself burning that building experience and learning from it so the next time you're faced with a difficult situation you can rely on a time when you got through it before or you can rely on a time where you did it well before and you can sort of use that so mental resilience is key and and within that is is that commander's time that time to rest that time to think and that doesn't mean you have to go to sleep Churchill was famous for having a bed in the cabinet offices like during the second world war and and Churchill slept <laughs> like when he needed his commander's time he would go to sleep and even at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst they they ensure that the officer cadets when they're going for their training have a minimum of six and a half hours sleep because that's apparently the magic amount of time that you need and the minimum amount of time is six and a half hours sleep to be able to refresh your mental capacity for me so for some people it might be taking part in a mindless activity a mindfulness activity you know yoga mediation meditation for me I like to go for a run I can go out the house really angry and I can come back in a better mood or I can go out the house with a problem and I can come back with maybe three solutions to it I like to run but some people ask me what I'm running away from <laughs> but I always come back is my answer <laughs> so resilience is key for me and the next quality for me is I think that if in if you're very lucky to be in the position of a leader then you really need to be true to yourself and your values it's a hard day in the office when you're being you let alone if you're trying to take on someone else's values or be somebody else so you've really got to be authentic and that means another slim quote leadership is just playing you so you've got to just be you you can't it's such a hard work it's draining to try to be anybody else and when we've talked about it before on that darkest day that hardest toughest day you're going to revert to being you anyway so you need to be you authentic and honest and I think that's that's key so my next one is is authenticity and to do whatever you would ask your soldiers to do so if you're not going to sweep the shop floor if you're not going to make the cups of tea don't ask your soldiers to do it you know if you're not going to charge the, the the gun position and throw the grenade the grenade in don't ask your soldiers to do it you know do learn what they are, do what you expect them to do as well so that you understand what you're asking of them from their level and then I suppose my third point is self-awareness you've really got to be aware of how other people see you and you've got to understand if you're um 
how you're coming across. Um, so I think if you, you need to be self-aware and have a high level of emotional intelligence to understand how other people see you and how you're seen by other people and to yeah basically make sure that you that you are coming across as authentic as you want to be yes I think they're probably my three resilient being authentic and uh, self-aware it's a brilliant list one one thing I learned in the come up as in trying to um when i was chasing i would i'll freely admit this when i was younger i was chasing the the title the position and trying to move up that corporate ladder when i was younger when dollars meant more than other things in my life do now and i can admit that quite freely in in my 20s my values changed a lot and but i i I can pin that to when i became a parent life changes from there i started things seeing things a little different so what i learned very young though is when I was in a new organization or around new people, I did the, I think doing the little things that humanize you make you stand out. So people see the real you as opposed to, to a pretend version of yourself. I think that's what you were saying before. Like for example, that coffee one, doing something as simple as saying to your admin team, Hey, can I get you guys a cuppa? What do you want? Whatever it is, something that simple on a regular basis builds a level of street cred amongst your team because if you're prepared to do something as mundane as make someone a cup of tea and not expect them to do that for you because of some idiocy around seniority if you're spending a good chunk of your life at work with people you want those relationships to be good and positive and fruitful and if you can't be your authentic self i don't know who the hell you're gonna be uh, because it won't last very long and I, I i think that as as we age i think our our bullshit radars get a lot more attuned as we get older and you know when someone's not being authentic and you just want to i've called people out on it at times and, and it's come back to bite me but i hate it when people put a front on don't do it like why why the question for me is why do it what have you got to hide and that's not a good thing in a organization of any kind because if you think that there is a subversive reason why someone isn't being their authentic self it can be poison ben deal with a lot of businesses does that resonate with you yeah absolutely um, and the, the point i make about that is that it, it would be bloody hard to pretend to be someone else for a long long time you know mind you actors do it for a living but if you're not yourself you are quickly found out and it will often be at the worst time where your something is riding on your performance or something like that but sadly i think many people are themselves much to the detriment of an organization you know it's one of those things around the corporate sector that i struggle with in many respects is the promotion of technical experts without any leadership skills or qualifications or anything at all and in, in very sorry invariably are quite inept at managing others but the worst of that is actually those who can't admit, admit those very concepts so and then they try to stumble through their leadership pathway or role and uh, often leave a trail of destruction behind them but at the risk of sounding cynical there's equally an amazing array of great leaders in the corporate sector and we've actually spoken to a few and they are themselves they are vulnerable they are funny they are engaging and they can walk in and say to the receptionist, "Hey, can I get? I'm going to grab grab a coffee downstairs. You want to come, or would you like me to get you one? You know, anything like that." 
And I live by the rule in that context of nobody is too good for anything. And particularly when someone says to me, oh, can you get Eric to clean the, the boardroom? It's dirty. And I would say, well, why is Eric doing that? Can't you do it? Pick up a broom and sweep, for goodness sake. You know, so anyway, I'm going off on a tangent now. But I'm, I'm interested to know from you, Charlotte, in, in the context of working in the environment you are currently in, which I assume has many defence civilians. Yes. And do you see a qualitative difference in leadership in the in the civilian operation yes mm. so I've got I've got a little phrase that I just came up with one day <laughs> management um, is is what I see in the corporate space and leadership's what I see in the military and management is basically leadership without soul <laughs> there's no love in it there's no soul in it there's no it's it's a process they've got to do they've got to write they've got to set the objectives they've got to do the mid-year appraisal and they've got to write the end of year report and they've got to tick the box if you get your bonus and they're, they're not going to coach or mentor you or sit down or talk to you and develop you they're just going to make sure you've done your mandatory training and you achieve the business out, out, objects and you've been managed you have been thoroughly managed at best <laughs> like you're a commodity or a resource you've not been invested in as a person that's the difference I see that's a really interesting point I remember I had quite a uh, disagreement with a payroll manager one afternoon about uh, a particular individual who uh, had some issue with their pay and the payroll managers just sort of fobbed it off and said, ah, oh, we'll do it next week. And I just went, excuse me, that person that is listed on that list that you see as a payroll number and a bank account, that, that person's got a mortgage and that person's got children's in school and that person's got the head down. They've got to eat. They've got to eat. They've got to go to the they Tesco's got- and buy their groceries. And, <laughs> and I just say, you can't manage this People situation. You have to think about the end result. And the end result is a person's life is affected. And whereas they see a task completed and, and I am going to drop the F-bomb, Eric. So bear with me, Charlotte, I'll apologize in advance, but we had a rule in the army. Don't fuck with a soldier's food and don't fuck with a soldier's pay. And that's a universal rule that applies in the British army. Yep. Don't, don't mess with their pay or their food. <laughs> yeah, and I still today live by that rule. Now, I can't really affect my people's food at the moment, but I can certainly affect their pay. And it is my number one task on every Thursday, every second Thursday to make sure I do that payroll run because the person or people receiving those funds in their account, they've got responsibilities. And, and you have to think of it that way. Management is a task that is, is ticking off a resource has been affected or, an, or a task has been affected. Affected, not the people impact and I think you've hit the nail on the head Charlotte soulless leadership yep. <laughs> I've seen it change though um, in COVID times so I think that during COVID-19 coronavirus everybody has been completely in a new situation that they've never been in before you know people have had to shield people are carers and the conversations that they've had to have with their line managers how potentially conversations that they've never had before even taboo conversations so before maybe if you were a carer or you're having problems with childcare, you would never say that to your line manager for fear of that if you can't organize your own domestic commitments you know what good are you in work you won't be able to organize or prioritize your work commitments you're almost weak in a way but covid has had to make uh, leaders or managers more compassionate and be more open to understanding people's domestic situations and actually maybe shifted a few perceptions because they've gone, well, this person does all this at work and I had no idea what was going on in the background. 
So I, I think that recently there's been a little bit of a shift towards more compassionate leadership in the corporate space, but that would have always been there in, in my military space. I would always see all my soldiers' families as something that's my concern. I would always make sure they're paid, they're fed and that their families are in a good place because I always understood that without the support of a fantastic family behind them, they're going to suffer. So I think we've had that for a long time. And I hope that what I've seen through coronavirus, that the sort of my um, civilian managers, leaders in the corporate space are going to take those sort of like compassionate aspects that they've learned through this and continue them forward because ultimately it will do them and their organisations a lot better because they'll have a lot, they'll get a lot more back out of their teams that is such a good point eric just to back charlotte up there i do i did find during my military service particularly as a as a junior officer is that and what i say charlotte is there is a very thick gray line between work and home and often as a platoon commander or a company 2ic and or as an adjutant as i was at one point um you're dealing with marital breakups you're dealing with uh, issues with children, you're dealing with, you know, anything that goes on in the soldier's personal life. Whereas I have found in the civilian sector, there's a very, very clear line in the sand that you just don't bring it to work. And I think that's a really good point that COVID's made. Generally, the community understand that when the child walks in in the background to get a textbook from their school bag, that's life, you know. And I think that Charlotte's point about getting to know the family and understanding them, make sure they're well, make sure they're looked after because that family is a support framework. It is no different. It honestly is no different in the civilian world. It's a, such a good point you've made, Charlotte. Yeah, well, and I just feel myself as well. Whenever my, whenever someone has said to me, if they've remembered my children's names or remembered my husband's name, or even if they've remembered what, you know, that I like to go for a run and they've said to me like, hey, did you go for a run at the weekend? How many miles you did? Or if they've asked me, like how my daughter's doing by name do you know what I just you know feel that that person has taken the time to remember something about me and then inquire about it and because they are genuinely interested in me and that makes me feel you know a little bit warm inside and again but that makes me feel like this person's giving me time so I'm going to give them back some effort or some time myself as well and um, whereas the person that you know you walk in the office hi how are you have a good weekend they're not expecting any replies they're not interested <laughs> they're just on the way to their chair but the person that stops and remembers what your interest is or remembers what your husband or wife partner's name is or your children names or even what your dog's called you know, the fact that they've taken the time to know a little bit about you, I think goes a long way. Absolutely. But what one thing that, that resonates with me about this whole discussion is, and, and it's it's taken to a different level in my thinking around the the thing about being authentic and, and working to a, a set of values in your workplace. And I've, I've often, I often don't stop to think about what, what are the values of previous organizations I've worked with, let alone what are the values of my current organization. And I think you do that you ignore that conversation to your peril because in my day job i work for uh, uh, as an advocate for the commercial seafood industry here in, in queensland in australia and i have a very clear sense of what the values of my membership are because 
they they reinforce them every day that they talk to me about issues that are going on and and they're very clear and, and present to me and and you've got to work to them as best you can and try and live live them and advocate for your your people as best you can but i don't think that's always necessarily the case in every industry sector because i i have a i'm in a unique position in some senses that when we mentioned covid a few times now i've worked from home for the last 6 years so i don't have staff i'm an office of one and i've been used to doing calls, teleconferences. I've been used to this for quite some time. So when COVID hit, it wasn't a big deal for someone like me who's been working from home and doing the doing of this kind of work fairly regularly. But it took a while to understand that some people didn't have this as an ongoing work environment. Suddenly they've had to meld the world of work with the world of being at home or having kids at home because the schools are shut down. And um, I think it's forced everyone to have a rethink about how certain things work in that world of work and and we can't get away from it because that's just the scenario that we're in and not that COVID has been a good thing but if it's done anything it's shaken up what people conceive of what work means and what good leadership looks like and and if you if you're a LinkedIn tragic like I am and you read some of the posts that go on there there's been good bad and indifferent behavior from businesses of all kinds through COVID because I think everyone got taken by surprise about what this has meant to how we operate in a business and how we do the leadership question and I, I am sure I can bet you for the next 10 15 20 years we're going to have books written and movies done around what what did we do through COVID COVID and how did we get through it? And I'm sure there's going to be some colourful pictures and narratives painted about how well we want we got through it. I've seen some of the crap that's on social media around this COVID stuff, and some of it has been done very badly, and not because people are badly intentioned. I think how we lead and how we see others in this space has changed a bit. Uh, it's just a personal view. Um, I'm sure it will normalize at some point, but we're what, two years into this thing now? Hopefully we're not going to be talking about COVID in the next five years, but I have my doubt that this is going to be around for a long time. So um, we're in a very different headspace. And I, I think with the military as well, I mean, there's going to be changes for how you guys maybe operate as well through COVID because if this thing gets worse over time, we might be spending a lot more time at home and not in your office spaces. So you're going to have to get used to working different. Just just an observation I'm seeing from the world of LinkedIn, which is um, an interesting place to be. What's interesting, Derek, on that point is to go back to one of the points Charlotte made right at the start. Real, well, the reality is that there were leaders that were faced with their darkest hour. There were businesses likely to close. There were projects that wouldn't be delivered. There were businesses that were forced closed by government-mandated lockdowns and those sort of things. Leaders faced their darkest hour and their leadership came to the fore or it didn't. That's yeah. what Charlotte said from the very start. Yeah. Now, I think you may have, may have been speaking from a very, let's talk about being in operations and, and being uh, in a forward operating base and being overrun or whatever. But at the end of the day, the civilian world faced and continues to face some of their darkest hours. And we've been fortunate enough to talk to some fantastic commercial leaders who have really shown their skills and equally I've unfortunately heard of others that just don't. 
So, you know, we circle back to some of the initial points Charlotte made and it's, it's, we're seeing it daily. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Look, Charlotte, Ben, this has been an awesome conversation. I just, if we can round things out and we usually do this, we've done this with all the podcasts, Charlotte, some final thoughts. So I might hand over to you anything, any final thoughts of pearls of wisdom you might have for the, for those that are listening to this podcast? Oh, I suppose it's more like what are my sort of top, tips really isn't it so my my top tips really is be you we've already discussed that leadership is hard anyway especially on your toughest hardest day so if you're trying to be anybody else or emulate any leadership qualities that you think you might emulate might need to emulate it's going to be hard work so just be you know your team so know their strengths know their weaknesses know what you can use them for so that you can empower them and they can essentially even lead on some tasks but know them know a bit of stuff about them personally so that you can make those connections and make those bonds. For me, we haven't really touched on it today. I always like to know why. So if we need to do something, if something needs doing, I really need to know the why. (laughs) Because it sort of like makes a task legitimate then. I understand why I'm doing something. So on those days where you have to make the hardest, toughest decision, it's really crucial, I think, to explain why. So those leaders in those corporate senses that you were just saying, Ben, you know, that had to make really tough decisions, maybe to not continue the business or not deliver a project, whatever it was. If you can explain and articulate the why, then I think that not only does it, you know, transparency, honesty and trust, but it just makes people understand. It shows a little bit of vulnerability, maybe. And it just makes people maybe not so adverse to those decisions they can understand why you've got to that decision. So communication is key. Make sure you've communicated that why effectively because then people can understand that maybe it's not a a great decision because sometimes there is no good decision, but it's the right decision, which goes back to those values. You've stuck to those values and you've made the right decisions. And if you've explained the why and communicated that why, then even though it's a still a pretty rubbish decision it's the right decision on that day at that point in time I've talked about being self-aware I've talked about being the example but then my other key point is grit (laughs) there's no algorithm to determine to explain grit it links to resilience and it's all about just keep going (laughs) and I think the only way that you can just keep going sometimes is to make sure that you have got that trusted team around you to help you keep going and whether that's your domestic family situation so that when you go home someone picks you back up when you're down or helps congratulate you when something's gone well or if it's your work team and if you've if you've if you've just got the resilience and the grit to keep going then then I think you'll you'll be okay because sometimes you do need to bounce back great point again uh grit love that one I read an article recently it may have been Harvard Business Review but effectively they contended their point was that long-term success had nothing to do with academic results or anything like that, but the key factor was grit. There you go. I think we might have read something similar, but I think it stemmed from Harvard Business, but I watched it as a TED Talk. Right, okay. Yes, a lady did a TED Talk on it. can't remember I her saw name. That Sorry, too. should, should yeah. give her the credit. And yeah, I was like, I, I would call it hard work, yeah. hard work and determination, but I like, Hard work and determination, it's a big mouthful, grit. Yep. Keep going. 
Look, this has been amazing. Thank you, Charlotte, and thank you, Ben, for your time. So for those listening, you've been listening, as always, to Talking Leadership. Ben, thank you for your time. Thank you, Eric, and thank you, Charlotte. That was a fantastic conversation. Loved it. Charlotte, thank you. I, I know you're you're busy in, in the UK there. You guys are still in lockdown. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're, lo- we're still in lockdown. So in, in England, because Scotland and Wales, we have slightly different roles. But in England, we're still not allowed to travel away from our home location. But our shops are open now. So our food shops have always been open because you've got to eat. But our clothes shops and our shoe shops and are open now. So that's great for me with children with growing feet. And I don't have to keep guessing their shoe size anymore. But yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're on the on the way back. We're hoping by May that we may be allowed to travel, which means I can um, go dump my kids on the grandparents. I mean, I can go see my mum because I've missed her so much. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, um, I'll thank everyone again for following the podcast and stay tuned for more content on this uh, topic area and many others to do with leadership. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll catch you all on the next podcast.